tuned in to All Things Music, presented by Liquid Sound Records. Here are your hosts, Ryan Katz and Ian Illyrian. Welcome to another new episode of All Things Music. Ryan Katz, your host here with uh, Ian Illyrian uh, during this questionable quarantine that we are trying to get out of in the COVID-19 world. Ian, how are you doing, man? I am wonderful. How are you guys doing? We're good. Um, this is for our listeners, uh, and we're doing a live stream as well on Facebook. So if you are checking us out right now, uh, shout-outs to you. Uh, this is our first ever Discord video conference podcast uh we've done remote podcasts before we've never done the video method but in these times i mean our options are extremely limited so um very cool to do this um and uh just a disclaimer on that if at any time we are kind of iffy sound quality wise or if you're watching video quality wise just know that the servers are overwhelmed right now because everybody and their brothers on the internet so um yeah, before we get started and introduce, introduce our guest, I got to go over the usual things. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Rate five stars, like, share, follow, the whole nine yards. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook, all things music podcast. Uh, you can find us everywhere. Uh, Ian, I, I, it's funny. I was looking the other day, and I wanted to do that first because I always wait last. And I'm like, well, people don't care at the end of the episode. So I wanted to get that out of the way so people could actually go through their phones and do that. But I found out, Ian, that we have like all kinds of five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts, and we have one one-star one rating. So I'm like, who the fuck is the hater out there that has given us the <laughs> one-star rating? <laughs> well, we got a lot of them. <laughs> it's okay. I guess they always say if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right or whatever, you know. So uh, that that's good that we have that street cred now. <laughs> um, without further ado, uh, we want, I want to introduce somebody to the All Things Music family that I have followed from afar since I was 12 years old. Um, somebody who was a frontman of one of my favorite bands and is now a tour manager for a whole plethora of bands. Uh, welcome, Taylor Wallace. How are you doing, Taylor? Doing good. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. Not a problem at all. Um, Taylor is the tour manager for. I'll just let you let you say who you're tour managing for, whether it's right now or you have in the last five years, or however you want to want to introduce the, the the bands that you've that you've worked for or worked with. Um, yeah, I mean, so over the last five years, I mean, I currently tour manage for a band called Black Pistol Fire and a band called Grizzfolk. Uh, I've tour managed for Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, the Interrupters, um, Michael Franti and Spearhead, Dorothy, Kobe, Flagship, GNV Nation. <laughs> okay, uh, so how do you, how do you keep yourself like organized with that much? I mean, I, I I've talked to a fair amount of tour managers. It's not necessarily my strong suit, but I do know that they a lot of you guys have a big portfolio. But that seems like uh, just a lot of work to to remember because there's so many little nuances within being a tour manager that you constantly have to remember. And do you ever get them like mixed up? Oh shit, that wasn't you guys. That was the other band that I worked with. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think that I've had any like big mix-ups, but it's definitely like a challenge to go from like a band that like doesn't have a whole lot of needs. And then, you know, like a month later you're out with a band that has a ton of needs and like um, needs uh, a lot more care and attention in certain areas than the last band was. So you kind of like have to switch gears really quickly. Uh, you I don't know. Everything about tour management is about organization and just like being able to think really quickly on your feet. And um, yeah, Dropbox folders are my life. Uh, <laughs> and and obviously, you know, using Master Tour, which is the which is the software that most tour managers use, okay, to just kind of like disseminate information and like schedules and all of that stuff to keep everybody clued in. Definitely. That's what it's. That's what it's all about for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really made a mistake like that. Like forgetting sure. which band I'm with. You better knock on some yeah. wood, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be tour managing again for a long time. So. Well, and that's the thing. You you might have to shake off the rust when you get back out there, because at some point we're going to have concerts again. I I I've, some of these. And we'll we'll discuss this, but I feel like some some of these experts have a very gloom and doom outlook, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but I I, I it kind of your your thoughts become cascading, and you're like, oh shit, we're never gonna have music live again, we're never gonna have concerts again, we're never gonna have festivals again, and people get really depressed and upset. I can say personally, it's that's a giant part of my life, um, and I'm I know I'm not the only one who feels that way, so um, that is. That is tough, but I think it, it, it's probably like riding a bike for especially how long you've been doing it, that when it does come time to do those operations again, I'm sure you'll have very little, uh, you know, learning curve to get right back on the horse. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, we can dive into this later or whenever you want, but, the, you know, there is a very large sense of panic in the music industry right now what what that's going to look like and there's a lot of experts and panels of the biggest uh, booking agents and record labels and stuff that are all meeting about this on a daily basis and uh, you know i'm lucky to be uh privy to the conversations that they're having um and unfortunately i'm not coming out of out of that realm um but yeah, uh, we're all really unsure of what it's going to look like and when we're going to come back and, and when we do come back, like what kind of limitations are going to be. Because, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to just like go from this to like 2,000 people packed into a venue anytime soon. Right. right. No, I totally understand that. Um, what I worry about is something that I didn't think about till the other day, and now I'm like all of a sudden really worried about it is the venues because there's a lot of brick and mortars that that's all they did. It wasn't like, you know, some of them are bars and venues, but a lot of these are literally just venues that host. And I don't know how they're going to not go under if this is a continuous thing where where we can't have shows. Now, I'm hoping that maybe in the summer they'll allowing 100 people shows or 200 people, whatever it is. I don't know how they're going to do all. Um, but I do worry financially for the venues because there's a lot of, not just like the House of Blues and stuff, because I'm sure those are going to be okay in the long term. Um, I can't say for sure, but 
the it's the smaller you know local venues that are kind of those staples in each scene are not just important for some of the up and coming bands that do these tour circuits but the local band need those venues to even perform at all um so that's that's kind of my biggest concern um from a music business standpoint rather than just a consumer standpoint do you think that's something that we really need to be worried um, yeah, it's definitely something that we need to be worried about, you know, um, and, and it's hard to, to gauge how much that's going to affect things. Like, you know, most of us that are aware have seen that like Live Nation and AEG have gone around and bought the majority of the small independently owned clubs and kind of put them under their umbrella. Right. So there is a sense like, well, if you're under that umbrella, maybe you're safer than others. Um, but at some point, companies like AEG and Live Nation, which are hemorrhaging money at this point, um, are going to have to make decisions on what to keep and what not to keep and where they can uh, hedge their bets and like cut their costs. And that might come down to getting rid of some of these smaller venues that they've acquired. Um, it's definitely resulted in them furloughing the majority of their employees. And the reality is, is, you know, even the AG and Live Nation venues, you know, the smaller 500, 600, 800 cap rooms uh, are usually not profitable for them, but they use them as stepping stones to help grow bands in their region. Sure. You know, uh, I worked for AEG Denver in, um, you know, for a while and they have, you know, a 150 cap room, a 500 cap room an 800 cap room, a 1500 cap room and so on until they can get you up to red rocks, you know, and that's kind of their, their game plan. That's what they do. They want it. They want to see a band through their life cycle and bring them up in that, in that scene. But the reality is, is like the 500 cap and the 700 cap and the 800 cap rooms, they don't make money. They no. barely pay for themselves. Uh, they're not profitable. So it is um, going to be an easy decision for a big company to 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 write them off, so to speak, on their on their balance sheet as a, as a as a cost because it's you know to close them down or to sell them or whatever because it is like you say hemorrhaging money. If they're not already making the money on a on a normal economy right now, right. it's just it's it's almost like a a cancer to the business, which sucks because the formula you're talking about is really good, and without those stepping stones i i don't know how this is going to reshape the industry but something is going to have to happen i don't <laughs> i can't even think about it in in 10 years or, or however long it's going to be um what what's going to replace that is anything going to replace that or are small bands in in rock and other genres that are kind of similar to rock are is it's going to be a lot harder for these bands to even perform at all I mean, it's definitely going to be harder. And, you know, we had a private conversation, which spawned you, you know, or not a conversation, but just we were, right. we were commenting on each other's uh, deals the other day, which kind of spawned the, 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 this interview. Right. But there are these younger bands um, that might not make it through this. You know, being a successful band is an extremely, uh, time sensitive, 
you know, it's all about timing. It's all about where you're at. It's all about the atmosphere. It's all about catching the wave of like what if your sound is relevant at the moment. Um, so bands get signed to labels, you know, hundreds of bands get signed to labels every year. And they have like, they get a 12 month window to like make, make a profit or make a dent or like get a reaction from, from the world to get a Spotify increase and get playlisted and, and, you know, they'll spend some money to send them out on tour with another band and hope that they can generate something. A lot of those bands don't make it in general, you know, they, they, they're just like spaghetti that's being thrown at the wall. You know, you sign 10 bands, one of them makes it. That's that's like, that's a success. But nine of those bands aren't going to make it. Um, I don't know how those bands make it right now uh, in this climate. You know, there, there are a lot of bands that probably got signed in 2020 that we'll never hear from uh, because they might not uh, get, get the funding from the record label. They might not ever be able to tour to build that fan base. Uh, so I'm definitely worried about those bands. Um, the bands that have been around for a while, like I can tell you that we, you know, William Morris Agency, Paradigm, CAA, you know, the big booking agents that I work with, they are, they are actively advising their big clients that can afford to stay home, even if they have tours booked in the fall, to go ahead and pull the plug on that because we don't know there's no no guarantee that we're going to be able to tour in the fall. It's looking more likely like we're not going to be able to tour in the fall. So they're saying, if you can afford to, let's pull the plug early and not wait and not have to deal with this, um, you know, refund nightmare and reschedule and rebook over and over again until we can figure it out. Um, sit back, go record a record, spend some time with your family. It's going to be lean, but we'll get through it. Right. That's kind of the that's kind of the what we're hearing. Uh, it's not like a mandatory thing, but that is the advice that's being given to bands that can afford to stay home. And, and we're already this- seeing stuff like that. Like Zach Zach Brown band, you know, had a big right. stadium tour booked for the fall. He's already announced. Like, you know, I know it's not till fall, but we're going to go ahead and pull it for the year. Um, and you're going to see bigger bands like that just slowly starting to drop out. We're waiting right now. A lot of things are hinging on what uh, Live Nation and C3 do with Lollapalooza. Um, it's not looking good. That's in July. Uh, I think the That's second that they make, yeah, if they make the decision uh, to pull that down, I think you're pretty much going to see the rest of what's booked for July and August come down as well. It's for- amazing that, that that it happens where you have something really established go first and everything else will follow because they feel it's almost like they feel it's safe to to follow because something established did made that initial first step and i saw it in sports uh the nba was the first league to cancel their season or postpone their season and all the other i mean this this was like the march madness was coming up and and baseball was coming up and the masters was coming up they were all like, we're still going. We're going to still do this, yada, yada. NBA said, we're done. And all these other teams, like literally the next day, all the other leagues were like, we're done, we're done, we're done. So it's yeah. not music, but I, and even in business, I'm sure it's the same in regards to just how everything is so fluid right now. Um, I think it's going to affect, it's funny you mentioned Zach Brown Band, because I think it is going to affect other genres worse, just because of how other genres are set um, 
there are a lot more underground independent bands in rock. There are a lot of underground independent rappers um, in country. I, that yes, there is, but I think that there's also a giant balloon of of the household names in country more so than other genres because it's very similar to like. Um, from that standpoint. So it'll be really interesting to see how the landscape changes for a while. And I, I that's why I said 10 years, because I don't, I think in 2030 is when you maybe will see what we've had for the last 10 years, you know, with a lot of these underground bands coming up and, and having a, a, a nice environment to thrive again. So yeah. I I talk about all these pessimistic things and all these experts saying pessimistic things, and then I go ahead and say, "Who am I?" But um, I don't well, know. I, I think we'll get we'll get uh, more back to normal before the ten year mark. But what you know, a lot of like people that aren't in tune with the music business don't realize is that the touring industry is has been at an all time high for the last like four or five years, like every year the numbers are are better than the year before and we're break we're breaking records um it's been the healthiest most vibrant part of the music industry it is what accounts for 70 percent of uh of the revenue of the entire music industry and that includes includes digital streaming and and physical which physical is almost completely dead except for in some regions in europe and 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 japan and um, actually not Japan, but Europe, Germany, places like that, the physical still really in demand. And we were already, you know, vinyl saw a really huge spike, but then like the vinyl industry took a huge hit this year because one of the two main vinyl plants burned down, you know? Yes. And it's oh, like, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah. That was yeah. A big deal. And vinyl's and making don't a realize big comeback. It's yeah. like super hard to get vinyl for a band to like, want to do vinyl which is super popular there's only two main warehouses that produce it in bulk and you have to place that order months in advance and it's almost always delayed or late because the demand is just way higher than the output that they that they can produce and then we lost half of that uh capability for the u.s so they've already been struggling with that um and so yeah, it's interesting. I, I was on the phone texting with a friend of mine who is a, you know, uh, very, very, very high up at one of the largest uh, record labels in the world. I won't say which one, but sure. um, they were, I mean, they were talking about this same thing. It's just like uh, streaming numbers are actually heading down right now, uh, not up. Uh, That's kind of surprising. Yeah. I, I was surprised by it as well. The the general consensus is that, you know, the majority of people that listen to Spotify are listening to the Spotify on their way to work, in their car, yeah, during probably, their commute. Right. That's not happening. And then you're seeing uh, people that normally are streaming from multiple accounts, you know, a, a husband and a wife that live together that are listening to two different accounts, to two different things on, on their own. Now they're in one household. Maybe they're listening to music together now instead of separately. Um, so... Yeah, music streaming is is taking a hit. It's not like a huge hit, but it's gone down a little bit. Videos going through the roof. Oh, for uh, sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting to see 
what's happening right now. And it's really, really hard for anybody to guess where we're going and, and, and predict an accurate timeline of how we're going to get there or let alone like what is going to remain when we can go. Because I, I mean, the reality is, is like people like me, tour managers, sound guys, lighting guys, merch people, like, can we afford to wait a year before we can go back to work? No, we're probably going to have to find another job. If I'm lucky enough to find another job that pays me somewhat close to what I make tour managing, am I really going to leave that job when I'm able to go back on tour for an industry right. where like there, there never really has been a lot of security. You know, I only get paid when I go on tour and I don't get paid when I come home. I don't have it. You know, I got to pay for my insurance from family and friends and all those things. And, and, you know, it, it's one thing to, if you can get a job, especially a job that you like, you know, that, that is whether it's a nine to five or something, that's just a, a trade work, whatever it is. Um, and you can sleep in your bed every night and make the same amount of money. Uh, I mean, it depends where everybody is in their life. I, I do know a couple of tour managers who are just itching to get back out on the road, regardless of circumstance. And that's all they want to do for the next 10, 20. Um, but it just, I think it just depends on, on life priorities, all those things. But I, I do agree with you that you're going to end up losing a, these specialty type of people who keep these tours, you know, going the behind the scenes people that really, the fans don't understand the whole, all the intricacies of, of, of touring. Um, hopefully you'll get a lot of younger people coming up here who want to kind of jump into um, when everything gets back to what it is. Uh, Ian, it sounds like we're gonna we're we're gonna have a long time to go before we get to, get to be guest listed on another show, man. Uh, yeah, well, it is what it is, and you know that music industry is not the only industry getting hit. Um, I work in the car industry; we're getting hit pretty hard. I'm still lucky to obviously have my job, um, but uh, it's definitely you know tomorrow I might not. And um, we, everything's as slow as hell, man. Like, it's the only thing that I will say is not slow is the food industry. The f and specifically, the fast food industry is doing really well right now. Really, really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But um, everybody else, yeah. And what sucks is, I don't know if you, I don't know how much you guys pay attention to the news, but today they ran out of funding for small for business. Small businesses, Which yes. was part of all this big bailout obviously all the big corporations got the money first then some of the normal people got the money but even then i know a lot of people i've been seeing on facebook a lot of people haven't gotten their checks because of vice versa and who knows when they're gonna get it because when you go to type it in the irs it doesn't show up and then small business small businesses haven't gotten anything so all these small venues and um People who have LLCs, like maybe some of the bands have LLCs or something registered, they're going to be suffering because that was money to help keep that them afloat during this time that they're just not going to get. So yeah, yeah not... I, I definitely yeah. I mean that's I'm feeling that. I mean I have an LLC. I applied for the small business loan, you know, to try and get uh, some relief and try and ride this thing out. And yeah, I mean. I saw that headline today, and I was like, you got to be kidding yeah, me. Yeah, it's like, fucking bullshit. I mean, <laughs> I, honestly. It's but, been live for like a week, and now we're out of money, and I don't I don't know anybody that's gotten relief from it. Chris, you know? but, but, but... we do have uh, 
Um, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Music Cares uh, yeah. Recording Foundation uh, has set up a, a relief fund, which I know a lot of people that have applied for in the touring industry, and they have stepped up in a big way and are actually sending checks out to people, which is huge. Awesome. Um, you can you can uh, donate to that if you're lucky enough to have money and are looking for a good cause and you love music. Uh, music cares is is a hundred percent taking money that they're getting donations from and putting it directly into the hands of artists and touring uh, personnel right now as we speak um, which is great um, and live nation just set up a fund that they're doing the same thing and I see a lot of artists are donating to that fund so um, their application process just went live uh, so I don't know anybody that's received help from them yet, uh, but I'm sure that that'll be on the way soon. Right. So right. Right. Especially if it's fairly new. Trying to help. So um, here's the here's the one thing that b bothers me about this whole situation is I I'm very happy that they were able to come together bipartisan and come up with a stimulus plan. I was happy just just on the surface, but. One check is, is barely going to do anything for most people, for 95% of the people. It's, it's, it's going to pay their rent, more credit cards, what have you. It's not going to stimulate the economy. It's just not going to do it, um, despite what some... And listen, I'm pretty pro-capitalist, but despite what some ultra-capitalists say, $1,200 or how, wh however your family set up, it's just it's not... It's got to be reoccurring for a little bit. I, I just got to think that they're going to eventually have to do that. The only thing that worries me is there are certain people on certain sides of the aisle that believe the stock market is the economy, and that's not the case. Like, the stock market can be doing decently well, but people, you know, salt-of-the-earth salt people can, are still suffering every single day from not having a job not having these these work paychecks. Unemployment in so many different states is just abysmal at the current moment in regards to signing up and getting those benefit um, call wait times and all these things. Um, so I just think on a, on, a, on a regular level of anybody, I, I, I gotta hope smarter heads will prevail in our government and hopefully they'll come out with something like, like Canada did or some of these other European countries have, because I, I think otherwise you're going to have, have a Great Depression. I really do. We might already be pretty damn close to being there, if not there. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to drag it too much to politics, but uh, it definitely affects everything that we're talking about. Um, yeah, there's, there's no denying that, that we as a country uh, are kind of in last place <laughs> as far as like how we're dealing with this crisis uh, monetarily and, you know, uh, as a medical resource uh, uh, and, you know, the list goes on. Who would on. have thought, you know, you look at the academics of the United States and my wife's a teacher, so this is near and dear to me. You, you, you look at the United States, where they place in mathematics, it's very low. Where they place in science, it's very low. And in regards to first world countries, uh, reading, all these things. So who would have thought that we would place very low in, in real life pragmatic uh, situations? I mean, who, the coincidence is just uncanny. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Who right. would have known? So, but 
Um, let's talk about some of let's talk about some nice things. People watching this and listening are probably like, "Oh my!" Uh, let's talk about some <laughs> cool stuff. Uh, out of all the bands, I don't even want to do that yet. What is is because the one thing I wanted to ask you earlier, you were talking about some bands wanting a lot of things done, some bands being a little more chill. Is there a certain middle ground you prefer? Do you like? having a busy band do you like having a band that's just kind of like hey hits you up whatever like do you have a preference on who you work with in regards to that or is it just kind of case by case um well yeah i mean for tour managing it's i mean it's a lot like i mean it is a relationship but it's a lot like a relationship i mean you can work for a band that is like super sexy on the outside and like you know there's lots of money and the shows are really big and, and, you know, uh, spare no expense on hotels and all of that fun stuff. But like maybe the inner workings of it is a little bit more stressful than it needs to be, or there's Sounds more like drama dating. or yeah, it's so there, there's a, and there's a match for, for every type of band. Like there's a tour manager match and sometimes it does, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work out where, it's just like not because one or the other is wrong or not good at what they do. It's just like not a right match. So, um, yeah, there's an art to trying to find the right band that you really love working for and like that that feeds, you know, your – yeah, I mean, being a tour manager is, is a thankless job. Like it, it, oh, it's sure. like you're the first one up, you're the last one to bed – Everything is your problem. Everything is your responsibility. Um, it's all on you. You're you're the intermediary with the band through their record label, their booking agent, their publicists, like their fucking significant others. A lot of the times, like wow. um, really. So there's there's wow. just a lot that goes through you, and you have to find the people that inspire you to like make that all worth it right so um, let me ask you this do you do you ever gone on a on a tour leg and with a new band and uh -huh. in the first it's it's seven days later and you're just like this this might have been a mistake i mean not you're, you're not gonna back out or anything but you might be like this might be my only leg with this yeah 100 percent. that's happened to me a few times and no names and, of course but yeah uh, no I, I i won't name it but i mean yeah i think it you kind of know pretty quickly um, if it's right for you or not. And yeah, as a professional, you're, you're not like, I've never, I've never quit. And, you know, cause I'm like, this isn't my thing. It's like, I, you hire me to do a job. I'm going to do the job and I'm going to see it through. But when you ask me, do you want to do it again? My, I'm going to say, I don't, I don't want to do it. You know? Right. Has um, a tour manager ever quit mid road? Like I've never, I, I personally have never heard that, but I'm sure it might've happened yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, it, the uh, tour managers have quit uh, in the middle of tours. Tour managers get fired in the middle of tours. True. Um, it happens. So tour managers have weird uh, – I took over a tour once because the tour manager had, like, a really bad medical condition and, okay. like, had to had to get that checked out, you know. And um, So it's like any other job. I mean, it's definitely not the position that you – in the middle of the tour. Um you know, you don't want the captain of the ship to to bail and then have to bring a new captain in and, you know. 
so have you ever have you ever have you ever substituted or or however you put it you 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 replace the tour manager for a leg and then everything goes so smoothly that that band is like hey we want you on the next yes that's happened to me uh, i've taken over um one two i've taken over two tours like in the middle of of how everything was happening like a tour manager was suddenly let go or um or was doing the tour manager was doing double duty they were tming and front of house sound engineer and things got too big too fast and they couldn't do both and the wheels were coming off the train and they were like fuck we got to bring somebody in to get this taken care of um and they called i've I've had to do that (laughs) and it's extremely stressful uh, it's not ideal. I don't enjoy it, but I, I've been, uh, I've been successful at it, uh, uh, both times that I've had to do it. Um, doesn't that suck when you, when you don't enjoy something, but you're so good at it that people keep asking for you to keep doing it just in life. There's always that thing where you're, man, I fucking hate this, but I, yeah, I know yeah. I'm really good at it, you know? Yeah. To be the emergency ringer and bring brought in to like manage a million dollar thing with like more moving pieces than you can wrap your mind around and you need to be up to speed in like 48 hours. It's, it's not easy. But some people um, thrive in chaos. I don't know if you're one of those types of, of people that, that. Apparently I do. It wasn't <laughs> something that I was seeking out to be good at. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't have made it as far as I have without uh, being able to like keep my calm when like everything is burning down around me and like have a plan and make sure that everybody else remains calm as well, which is kind of like one of the qualities that I guess keeps me coming back. Good mediator. Yeah. Yeah. And just like good at like, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, if somebody is constantly stressed out and constantly losing their shit and they're probably not going to be a good tour manager. Right. But the problem is you, Go ahead, Ian. It's kind of like being a guidance counselor for bands. That's what that sounds like. Like when you say that, you know, like you got all the students at the high school or something, they're all going crazy. You got their significant others and they're acting all wild and God knows on what Adderall and shit. And yeah, the guidance lucky counselor said that. only on Adderall. That's Taylor. He's the guidance counselor for bands. <laughs> yeah, so guidance counselor is definitely one of the 40 jobs that falls under the tour manager Jesus. umbrella for sure. That's too much, see, the man. One thing about, the one thing about a tour manager is, like you say, if you have a hothead tour manager, it's not going to work out. You can replace a tour manager. You can't replace a band member. Well, at least a tour manager can't replace a band. And uh, there's some times, I'm sure, where you'll have a band you really enjoy working with minus that one guy or girl who is in the band that is just kind of like oh, can i talk to this guy please because just you know what i mean like yeah. i gotta imagine that's very common too there's always polarizing figures in, in every band it's very rare you get a band where everybody's just hunky-dory all the time you know fuck Uh-oh. he dropped the call we can edit that part back in it's all right. He's back. Okay. This is a lovely uh, thing about happened? Discord. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I... see you. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, I can hear you. I don't All know right. what happened. Uh, there's probably a camera icon. There, there you it go. is. Yeah, it takes a minute. All right, Ian, bit. do you want to just cut that when you when you uh, get the final wave file or whatever and just cut that little bit? I can do that. That's no problem. That's pretty easy. All right. Anyway, what, what onwards. Uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, you were alluding to, yeah, sometimes there's one one bad egg in the bunch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's definitely, definitely been the case uh, a few times, you know. But even when, you know, even when everybody's awesome, you kind of have your favorite people that you want to talk to more. Um, right. I mean, that's yeah, natural, that's just, though, like in everything, like in, in your job, uh, you know, work or whatever, like your friend groups. Yeah. You have favorite and, friends, you know. And with, uh, you know, with crew, you know, like there might be, you know, a merch person that kind of annoys the hell out of me, but hmm. I'd rather hire them because they're, fucking really done. good at their job yeah and they get their job done and maybe i maybe they're really awesome at what they do and, that's and then sometimes comes in too i mean like you you if you're really good at something you are much less likely to be replaced even if you're an ass yeah. i mean just because you bring so much to the table somebody who's like the most nice person in the world but they don't it's a skill because the hang is important you live in close quarters with people on most of the time one bus but on some of the tours we do multiple buses so you have a little bit more space but yeah if somebody is annoying the hell out of your band or your crew and and or they're a dick all the time like they're not, they will not they will not last like not being the coolest hang definitely doesn't mean you get to be a dick for being and just oh, for you're sure. your job yeah. or like super inconsiderate or messy or any of that any of those things it, it, it's super weird touring touring is unlike any other job where that all the ingredients have to be there for you to be employable yes no i would i would definitely agree with that so so when did you start touring how long ago or i'm sorry tour managing how long ago uh was uh i i think i decided to do my first tour managing gig so i was the event manager for red rocks amphitheater in okay. denver for two years um and uh that's kind of when i started to get the bug and i called a couple management friends that i had in la at the time and i said hey i'm thinking about trying to TM if you have any like smaller bands that I could go out and get my feet wet with, let me know. And eventually my, uh, my buddy Rico, uh, who was managing the band Grizzfolk, who was mm -hmm. on Virgin records at the time, they were going out on tour with ex ambassadors, uh, okay. for like five weeks. And he was like, yeah, they need a TM. Um, and I think you'd be great for it. So I did it. Kind of like having been on tour myself for years, you know, right. uh, I wasn't new to touring, um, but I was definitely new to being, you know, not not the artist. So two but things I to follow it. up real yeah. quick on that is uh, when first off, when you say you had the itch to tour manage, was that one of those things where 
I miss touring in a band, but I don't want to be in the band. So this is this is the perfect fit. Is that kind of what that itch came from? Yeah. Well, r- really, I had I had kind of like had zero desire to tour. You know, I kind of left that behind and just didn't really miss it. And um, you know, over the years, I have a bunch of friends that have you know that were in bands that moved on to be guitar techs drum techs, sound guys, whatever, you know, not everybody's band makes it. And the real diehard musicians and and music nerds find a way to stay in the business and make money. So I would see some of those guys come to Red Rocks and um, it just like, it just changed my perspective because I hadn't really ever thought about touring any other way than being in the band, right? And I didn't really have any desire to do that anymore. Um, and I'd never really considered tour management. And then, you know, after, you know, leading a, uh, you know, a, having a staff of 150 people at Red Rocks and, and putting on concerts of that size, you know, I was like, well, I'm totally capable of like the, the logistics of, of putting on a show and, and making sure that the crew and everybody is happy. And I know what artists want because I've been one. I know how to navigate radio stations and record labels and publicists because I've had to deal with them personally in my own career. So I don't know. I was just like, let's give this a shot. So I gave it a shot. Uh, in the, I did that Grizz Folk tour in the winter when Red Rocks was down because uh, it's a summertime-only venue in, in Colorado. Right. So I still had the safety net of like having a job. I didn't have to like leave my job. But when as soon as I did it, I was like, man, I'm, this is what I want to do. Like, I, this is, it was the most fun that I've had and the hardest that I'd worked in a long time. And so I was like, I got to figure out how to do more of this. So it's funny. Uh, there is another comparison to sports. I don't know how big of a sports fan you are. Um, it A lot of times these teams will hire a former player because it's so easy for a coach to be a coach having all of that experience as a former player. So I, I like that there's a parallel. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask was when you were uh, tour managing for Griswold, did you at any point tell them this is my first ever or were you kind of not hiding that fact just because you didn't want to seem, you know, too green. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you, how you went about. Um, no, with that one, I was like a hundred percent. I was a hundred percent honest. Uh, just cause like I knew their manager so well, like we've been really good friends for a long time. And I had, uh, I had a history with Grizz folk because previous to that, um, I had started a little production company and we made a documentary called long way to the top which is a a documentary about what it's like to tour. Is that anywhere Um, uh, on any kind of streaming? It's on, uh, you can get it on Amazon and on iTunes, long way to the top um, documentary. We sold it. We ended up selling it to Red Bull after we put it out and it, it it went into some film festivals. So it was kind of a weird thing. It was just like, you know, a buddy wanted to make a documentary and I was like, I think I can help you get that made. (laughs) And I ended up like, (laughs) Just you like yourself. overseeing, overseeing this documentary for three years and raised all the money for it and got you know a bunch of fans to be interviewed in it and um, yeah it was, it was a cool cool little passion project and you know it's like 
it's a good documentary for a couple people that have never made a movie in their life. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to have to check that out for sure. That sounds like something that I absolutely would want to uh, want to watch. But Yeah, but Grizz Folk was in that documentary. We, we went on tour with Grizz Folk in Europe. We went on tour with a guy named David Ramirez, and then we went on tour with a band called The Sword. Okay, um, I know who The Sword is. Yeah, and then like cut cut together a bunch of interviews with like some more famous talking heads talking about what it was like to tour and you know um so i had i had the knowledge of of grizz folk so they knew who i was i knew who they were um so um yeah there, there was no deceiving in there the first time that i did a tour though um where i was on you know it was a tour bus tour and i'd never tour managed a tour bus tour which isn't like, um, it's not much different, but you, there's some certain things that you need to know. And the management that hired me were like, we're, we want, we're going to hire you even though you don't have experience with a tour bus uh, because we think that you'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly. But they told me, do us a favor and don't tell the band that you've never <laughs> done a tour bus tour. And I was like, okay. yeah, that's fine. And I didn't, and no one knew uh, that's good. That's any a good thing. different. And then at the end of the tour, I was like, yeah, by the way, this is the first tour that I've done on a tour bus as a tour manager. That's awesome. So, so uh, the first time I ever saw you doing your job, so to speak, was when the interrupters were at, I want to say it was the, was it the first year of Sonic Temple or the last year of Rock on the Rain? Um, I don't know which one that was, but you guys were on the side stage and I remember being I think I DM'd you earlier that day just like saying what's up. Yeah. You know, trying to meet you or whatever. But um obviously your your hands full. And that's kind of my question. When you do a major festival like that, just there's way much more production value involved and, and different kind of hoops to jump through and red tape. And is that itself like the the one off festival, does that whole day seem like a, an entire tour just because of how much goes into that? Uh, it depends on the band and it depends on what you're doing. That day was uh, a complicated day because um, it was our last show in the States. Uh, and then everything that we had was being palleted and shipped to uh, the UK because we were flying out after that to go wow. to the UK to do festivals over there and do some press and do some stuff so like that. So there's no margin of error then. You, It's not like you... you I, I don't know what your grace period was between that day and when you everything had to be in the UK. I can't imagine there's too much you know, room to work with in regards to delays and different logistical things going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, you know everybody in the touring industry, there's, there's entertainment cargo services that are like unbeatable with deadlines and and you know they'll tell you ahead of time like we can't we can or we can't get it there by that date and if they say they can get it there by that date like it's going to be there no matter what that's good um but uh yeah so that was a danny wimmer presents festival and it was funny because every single one we did all the danny wimmer festivals that year right and every single one was affected by insane weather oh um, dude absolutely uh, it's, listen i love danny to death we've had danny hayes on the ceo from danny shout um, out danny i still to this day will never at least i love that it comes to columbus and i hope it continues to come to columbus every year um but i 
Ohio in mid-May is just such a gamble, you know, and a lot of these Midwestern states are such a gamble with the weather. Uh, and you're going to get cold rain. You're going to get long periods of thunderstorms. I remember, might have been the same year, I can't recall, but there was a year, maybe it was a year before, um, Metallica, I mean, we had to sit through a four-hour rain delay just to see Metallica, obviously, work, but um, just, uh, there's always seems to be something for these major festivals. It never just goes off with a bang. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. Like, the interrupters, we got super, uh, we got super lucky, because I think we were one of the only bands that, didn't get a cancellation on one of those three festivals because okay. like we all played different days you know it was like we played in jacksonville welcome to rockville on a friday right. and then we played north carolina on a saturday and then we played you know uh the ohio one on a sunday or whatever and like for whatever reason we never missed a set but every band that I know, <laughs> including like Tools set, got canceled in North Carolina because there was like an F3 tornado. People were like, so upset about that. Yeah, the video walls, which weigh like thousands of pounds, were literally blowing horizontally <laughs> on the stage. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, we got super lucky. But we, it also rained every single one of the days that we played. So massive thunderstorm that shut everything down in Jacksonville. Every band in the first half of the day was canceled except for like us and Bring Me the Horizon and Tool on our stage. Oh boy. And then like a couple other uh, smaller stages. And then the same thing, there was like a massive rainstorm in North Carolina the day that we played and a few bands got canceled. But then, like, the sun came out, and we were able to do our thing, and Foo Fighters were able to do their thing. Sometimes it's just luck. It's just pure luck, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, And I think, I think something that bothers, I'm sure it bothers you, it bothers me, um, and I understand where it comes from, but a lot of casual fans who go to these festivals get so upset when it comes to quote-unquote acts of, as far as weather and different things like that, um, because... They wait all year long to see that one specific band in that one specific setting. I understand. I mean, this year with everything being canceled, I'm a, a met internally. But yeah. um, at the same time, there's not an amount of bitching anybody can do to change it. You know, and it, it's just I I don't know if they expect the promoters to go into these Facebook groups and be like. Oh my God! All these people are pissed. I gotta put a tent over the state. I don't. I don't. I have no idea how what the the, the logical mindset is there, but it it does bother me a little bit that there are casual fans who who get way too irrational about. That's just people like in that. general, though. Like honestly, like people like to get irrational and freak yeah. out about. I mean, look at look at all the people protesting going in mass groups to protest coronavirus yeah. at the governor's hey man <laughs> like, there was actually <laughs> in ohio today there was a rate there's a racetrack i don't i didn't look at the the which racetrack it was i think it might be northfield parker i'm not sure thistle down maybe one of these racetracks uh our governor is reopening after may 1st some businesses not all business just just enough and they came out and were like well we're not waiting for permission we're just going to open and I'm like, well, that's really stupid because you're probably going to get fined and, and sued. Um, but I, I do think that that irrationality just comes, like you say, Ian, it does come everyone. Um, I'm sure I've had 
That's just people, man. Well, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's understandable. I mean, if you're, if you're, I mean, look, if you have been waiting your whole life to see Tool. Yeah. And you buy a ticket to see Tool and you drive halfway across the country. Yeah. Because they don't play that many places. No, they really don't. To see them (laughs) and the, it fucking rains and it gets canceled. What are the what's the likelihood that you're going to see Tool again? Even if you get a refund, like you're probably not going to see them again. That's yep. true, but, but like still five years. But still, like at the end of the day, I mean, like it is what it is. Like it's yeah. not like Danny Wimmers could tell could tell. Hey, stop, weatherman, make it stop raining. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Or, or you know, another great example this this year was Masonic Temple. They were supposed to have Metallica headline two of the three days, and Slipknot was the, the other. And Metallica dropped out because James Hetfield went back to rehab. Yeah. And right. not only did they just replace him, but they replaced him with Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tool. Two extremely high A-list groups. Now, this is all a moot point because it's not happening. Yeah. But people were upset. And I get it. I love Metallica. I saw them live. And it seems to me that they're going to be doing this for a while um, still. But um, the fact that people were upset, not only that they dropped off, but because James obviously is going through some extremely difficult time. And the promoters went around and still produced or still got two A-list groups. Shout out Gary Spivak for doing that because he is the talent. Um, but I, I that was one. The rain stuff everybody does, but that was yeah. one that I could not. I, I I had to say something on on to people because I I don't know. I feel like as Americans or as music lovers in general, we tend to be entitled a little bit to to yeah. expecting these things all the time and i think hopefully if you can look at a silver lining from all of this that this will bring us back down there and we will just yeah, appreciate sure. any kind of live music at this point but i also i also again get their frustration you know if i bought a ticket to see metallica i don't want to see red hot chili peppers man sure. That, sure. that's not what i bought the ticket for sure. if i if i buy a pair of shoes and you give me some bananas instead like i'm gonna be like dude <laughs> I didn't fucking buy bananas. I guess I there's just shoes. a way to, to a way to, to a way to handle. I don't know. I I don't know. I see I see those th- and I guess I guess for me it was just more about the James Hetfield thing. If Metallica canceled because whatever, you know, just some some other reason that wasn't so tra- yeah. Then yeah. It, uh, yeah. But I think people become insensitive to and it happens with athletes too. People become insensitive because they are not seen as humans. They're seen as robots that are here to entertain. Yeah, for sure. And I think in your line of work, you see that more than anything that that's completely opposite case. These are human beings with feelings, with with financials, with family, with a lot of different things going on. Um, it's 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 hard for the outsider to to grasp that until you're kind of in that elk. Um, so I, I think you could probably speak on that pretty much. What the artists are human beings? Yo, I mean it's just <laughs> no, they're robots, man. The <laughs> they're all coming to take over. Um, no, I, it's more about knowing. I'm sure there are bands that you've worked with that you've that you've admired from afar, and then you work with them. And I don't know if changing the perspective is the right term, but maybe just seeing them a little differently maybe in a positive way um or even being empathetic with what they're going through because maybe you went through the same things when you were in a band 
And I think that goes back to being that coach-player relationship. Yeah. I, I'm sure that helps. Yeah, 100%. And just, you know, like like you said, like they're people. And the outward persona that you are given is not always who they are behind closed doors. Uh, right. Sometimes they're way better and sometimes they're way worse. Uh, some bands work really, really hard to put on that outward uh, facade that they want you to believe and want you to see um, and are quite the opposite of that behind closed doors. And, and there's a big wall around that, you know, I always found it funny and you can speak to this cause you're, you're, you're a former front man. I always found it funny front men, these singers who are, have these powerful voices that are, you know, macho, mean, kind of, you know, gnarly dudes up there. And then when you when you talk to them backstage or in their normal life, they're just these little quiet guys that just no ego yeah. and kind of, you know, it's really interesting to see that sometimes. Yeah, I definitely got that a lot in, in Trigger Point. And uh, I, I haven't worked a lot in... Um, I, I mean, I, I don't tour in the in the metal genre. Sure. Uh, uh, but you know, I've I've known a lot of a lot of uh, big metal singers over the years, and the majority of them are not uh, as loud and and boisterous as they are on stage. Right. It's really interesting. Let's talk about Trigger Point for a second, because this this is like I said at the beginning. This is a conversation that's been in the making for a while for me. Um, Ryan always talks about it. I just want to throw that out there. Well, when He's talked about this for a year. Me, when people ask <laughs> me my top five or top three favorite bands, you're you're you, as defunct as they are now, you're always on that still because I think there's... And I messaged you back in the MySpace days about this. I was probably 13 or 14, and I did this whole spiel because I was all angsty <laughs> and going through the hormones. And I was, trigger point saved my life, la, la, la. You know, I did the whole thing, and you were like, you were so nice. You're like, man, that means so much. This is why I do this, yada, yada. Um, obviously, looking back now, being 29, things are a little bit overblown when you're when you're a teenage, but I do think that, that trigger point's music did have a, an enormous impact in in my musical taste and where I kind of went in my own journey. And I discovered you guys because, um, well, shit, we could go way down the rabbit hole, but with Switched and Ben Sheik and then Tom Hazer and Corporate Punishment Records, looking at the roster, seeing Ricketts, seeing you guys, seeing all the... All the great, there's some really good fucking talent on that on that small label that really, uh, if you look at a lot of the, the, the members of those bands today, they're all still doing music in some way, or a lot of them are still doing music in some um, So I find that fascinating as well. I don't know, Tom's still doing his thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, talk about just shit. Just talk about when, when, you, when you got into Trigger Point, how did you first make that connection to get to get signed and come out and i don't know if silent protest came after you were signed or if that was a, a, an independent release first but you can talk about kind of that little journey yeah well first of all like thanks for thanks for the the kind words um not a problem the hardest thing about trigger point breaking up and me deciding to leave the band and still to this day is the feedback that 
like that that we've gotten. You know, mm-hmm. I still get emails from people in different parts of the world that are like, "You're one of my favorite bands. Please make more music." Oh, man. Um, Every day, and, man, I, I think uh, about I think about it. But go ahead. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it 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 was always incredible to me that I was somehow able to join a band that affected people's lives like my favorite bands affected my life. It, uh, so it's not lost on me, like how important that is and, and how huge that is. Um, and, you know, the message that you sent me, uh, I got a lot of those messages back in the day and it was like, it was super humbling. And even when we get them now, they don't come in as often because most people fucking completely... <laughs> have no idea who we are. I try to show people every time I can. And I do, you know, I'm not much of a fanboy in regards to that kind of thing. There's maybe a handful of bands tops, but I will light up when people are like, hey, show me something I haven't heard before. And first thing I'm going to show them is is, is, uh, whether it's silent protest, picking up the pieces, anything, man. I I get on the YouTube and... uh, show them they're like fuck this band's sick what are they doing right now i'm like well <laughs> not a not lot but you should check out their catalog because it's still phenomenal uh, and it holds up to this day so well uh yeah so to answer your question like me and mikey and and dave aka feet um we started jamming uh and immediately the first time that we ever jam we wrote the song away okay basically like as it is on the record um that's pretty impressive and yeah it, it just came super easy to us and I, that that uh, we we used to joke about it a lot but we were in the rehearsal room it was like a rehearsal room in la where there's like tons of other bands and we were playing that song for the first time and this guy like came in and he was like dude you guys are badass what label are you guys on <laughs> you're like i don't have and i was <laughs> And I pointed at the drummer, and I was like, "I don't even know that guy's name." Oh Jesus! Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we literally just met. Uh, so it just clicked instantly. We started playing shows, and it was a it was a really cool deal, man. Like we we really quickly became a band that was being talked about in mm-hmm. L.A., um, which was like as, as a kid from a small town in texas just seemed like insane to me you know we were we were playing our first show was at this place called the coconut teaser which isn't there anymore but it was a club that madonna owned but it was like a shitty like punk rock bar okay Um, and we played there and i think it was our second show and like somebody a friend of mine came up to me and he was like hey man i just ran into mike Patton," and and he said that he came here to see you guys. Shut the fuck up. And I was like, I almost threw up like all over myself. I was You're so nervous. You're kidding. That's so sick. Mike Patton had just started his label um, at the time and was like looking to, to sign bands. And I was just like, dude, one of my favorite singers in the world is here. And like, uh, it was crazy. He didn't sign us, but uh, it was just, it was weird because like, things like that started to happen within the first like six months of us being a band, like just really important people were coming to see us play. Lemmy from Motorhead was coming to see us play like all these, all these like legendary people and label people. And 
so it's just really neat. And uh, we we met this guy uh, named Logan Mater, who was that sounds from really familiar. Soulfly and Machine okay. Head, right? And he was producing records, and uh, yeah, he said he wanted to produce our shit. And so we we worked really quickly to write a, an album's worth of material um, and went into the studio with him. And then at that time, he played it for Tom. Uh, and Tom was like, I love this. And you guys are like one of the, you know, we were one of the buzziest bands in L.A. at the time. Uh, and yeah, he offered us a record deal and. We were like, yeah, we're not going to say no to a record deal. Sure. I mean, I think part of us wanted to be like signed to like Island Def Jam or, you know, like one of the, like a big label. But there was also this thing happening at that time where like we had just passed the window of like bands like System of a Down and, and stuff like that being popular and things were starting to, you know, it was all of a sudden it was the White Stripes and it was the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and, and like heavy music was kind of taking a down downturn in the in the mainstream so mm -hmm. um you know we had talked to a lot of major labels before that and they were like yeah you guys are just too heavy if you want to tone it down and kind of be indie mm -hmm. we we're like no nah, that's that's not who we <laughs> I are i can't so. even imagine like that that would sound like <laughs> yeah me neither um so yeah that's that's kind of what what started it all and by the time we were done with the record um, we had a, a, a deal in place with Corporate Punishment, which was a new label at the time. And Tom put it out, and it did, it did pretty well. It didn't do great. Um, you know, like I said, we were in a weird time for heavy music. And right. we kind of won, like, a lot of our fans love silent protest, but us as a band, it was a really, it's really hard for us to listen to because we, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. And we were like, we were children sure. trying to emulate like our, our favorite bands. And so it's a like, happy accident, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a bad record, but it wasn't what we wanted to say. And it's not what we wanted to sound like. Interesting. Um, but we didn't really have the vocabulary to do that yet. Sure. And so, you know, we toured on that for a while and, you know, had some success at MTV with the video and, and, and some stuff with radio with picking up the pieces and, you know, did some tours with a bunch of bands and played some festivals and things were good. And then we were like, all right, now people know who we are. Now we're going to go write a record that, we think actually sounds like us, okay. you know, and that's when we took a year and a half to write giving up the ghost. Right. And that would explain to me, which something I was going to ask you is the, 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 a bit of a, of a sonic shift yeah. from silent protest to giving up the ghost. I don't think you abandoned your trademark by any means. There are bands who do, um, we can name them off after another, but yeah. I think that, you were able to, for example, like on, on the song, like uh, Mr. Wizard Died Today or on Jerome or some of these other tunes, you still had the, that, that real he uh, aggressive sound that kind of, at least for me, got me interested. And then you had other songs 
Um, the name escapes me, but it's the I think it's the last song on that record. And you talked about it on this other podcast you were on with these couple of dudes that analyzed your songs. And I can't remember. I listened to it on the airplane. And I was like, oh, shit, this is. Um, and you said it was I think you said on that podcast that it was one of the hardest songs you've ever written. Uh, give me a minute and I'll give you the actual title. Because I'm talking about the distance. I think so. Yes, it's the really long one. Yeah, the yes. last track. Yeah. Yes. So I, 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 to see you go from silent protest or my time or some of these other nowhere to be, some of these fast, like rigorous tunes, the distance shows kind of the entire spectrum of all you guys as musicians. Um, because if you would take 13-year-old me and you would put both records back to back and say this band's gonna do this i'd be like no they're not it's not yeah you know what i mean but it's it's cool to see bands do that because i think a lot of bands get either get stuck in there or they completely change who they are and i think some bands could benefit from just slowly evolving rather you know whatever it is today so i think that's a good model of success for for that now i know that giving up the ghost wasn't as metrically successful as silent protest. But I think that, as you said, that's just a product of the times. Um, well, the, the interesting thing was like giving up the ghost didn't come out. <clears throat> right. So right. what happened was we recorded that record. We picked uh, the producer, Sean Lopez, who was also doing Deftones at the time. Okay. Love Deftones. Um, which was like, yeah, that's one of our favorite bands. And he was doing Saturday Night Wrists the same time that we started recording that. And it was actually funny because like I would be going in to record vocals when Chino was leaving, you know, recording his vocals. And then like, you know, me and Chino and Sean would go to the bar and like get drinks after a long day in the studio and, um, ride bikes around and it, it was super cool for me because I'd always really respected Chino and 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 loved the Deftones music so we picked him because of that uh, connection and because right. of what Sean was able to do sonically he wasn't a metal producer um, and you know uh, Logan who did our first record was a metal he was a metal guy right. um, so we wanted to do something a little bit differently um, and get these like warmer, rich tones. Uh, but yeah, so we, we recorded that record and we were super stoked on it. Um, everything about recording that record was an awesome experience. We recorded it at Stone Temple Pilots uh, recording studio, which was known as the bomb shelter. I don't think okay. it exists anymore. Um, but yeah, it was such a wonderful, um, just nine day different. We, we went in with an intention and a plan and we, we executed the plan perfectly. Whereas like Silent Protest was just like a bunch of kids that riffed up some demos and then we went in and like I was right still in the studio and like coming up with things and I would like, yeah, it was just like we kind of, it kind of just came together by the seat of our pants. And this was like tactical. We wrote those songs for like a year and a half, every note and every lick 
and every lyric. And was... I think that shows too, because I think it is a little bit more technical on on a on a instrumental standpoint, yeah. as far as not necessarily shredding, but a lot of different dynamics from from fretting, and the drums are a little bit different, using different time signatures and all the all the fun things that yeah. make a record real art. I don't want to say too artsy. You you are not that you know it's not faith no more, but I yeah. do think. Uh, it, it 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 did have that little flair to it. So then my question becomes this: Obviously, that came out at least according to Spotify in 2014. I don't know if that was just a post release or if that was the year that it actually came out. Yeah, it was a post release. So the the album never came out. We finished that record in 2008, and okay. uh, and then we broke up because we shopped that record to every label. We we told Tom that we would not uh, come back to Corporate Punishment. Right. Um, not that we didn't like corporate punishment, but it was smaller than what we were aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, we had big ideas for that record. And essentially, we took that album to... Ever, lots of labels were talking to us while we were writing it. A lot of A&R guys were like coming to our rehearsal studio, listening to us jam those songs before we recorded it. Um you know, we had a lot of producers that really wanted to do it. Ulrich Wilde wanted to do that record, um, who's, you know, a massively successful mm-hmm. um, hard rock producer. And um, we kept hearing the same thing. This is the best record we've heard in a long time. We can't sign it. <laughs> um, and you're like, and it's why? because, <laughs> yeah, well, the reason was is because it was a little bit of, ahead of its time because it was too soft for, you know, Metal Blade and all of these, uh, you know, Ferret and all of these indie metal labels, because everything that they were signing at the time was just metalcore. It was just like there was no melody, there was no harmony. It was just straight screaming, and every single band sounded the same. And they were like, we don't know where to put you in our thing. And then I would have said, you know what, labels, give, it, give it a shot. You never know, yeah. you know? <laughs> and then the major labels were like, man, if you re-record this with no screaming, we will sign this, you know? Like, but it's way too heavy for what we're doing now. Yeah. We, can't, we can't take this to radio. We can't really do anything mainstream with it. So we were just like stuck in this middle place where like we were too heavy for one side and we were too soft for the other. And yeah, we had a lot of talks about what are we going to do? Like, and the options were go back to corporate punishment, which we didn't want to do. Um, rewrite the record, which wasn't going to happen because we thought it was a masterpiece and the best thing we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Or like jump in a van and try to somehow tour self-funded and wait until we proved people wrong, right. you know? Like we, there was a real thing, you know, our, we were known for our live show more than anything else. And we were like, if we get out and play this in front of enough people live, like, I think we're going to, we'll just defy the the labels. Right. Right. But it came down to just like, we didn't have the money to do that. Um, and the band discussed a lot of options of things to do, like moving to a different town other than LA and like trying to like so that we could live cheaper and it was just like a i don't know it just wasn't happening and i didn't want to be one of those guys that wasn't willing to accept that like it just wasn't going to happen sure sure sometimes you have to bite the bullet so to speak on yeah 
something so you love and I made the decision to that I was going to leave and that, that I that I was going to quit the band and that I I was kind of done like trying to make make it be this bigger thing than what we'd already achieved. Right. I was just kind of at a place where I was happy that like we already made it bigger than most bands that I grew up with and like bigger than I ever thought that I would get. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to drive myself into the ground, like trying to make it bigger. It's either going to happen or it isn't. Sure. So we broke up and the album never came out. We, we made a small run of like burnt CDs and we actually mailed it to a handful of like our biggest fans that like constantly <laughs> like awesome. uh, were always messaging us and would like travel to all of our shows or wherever we were because we, we felt, felt shitty because they were like super, you know, on our social media, MySpace at the time, uh, mm-hmm. constantly asking about the new record. And um, we released a couple of demos and people were super excited about it. So we sent that record out to like 30 people. Okay. <laughs> and then that was it. That's cool. So and it was never it was never posted or anything. It was just never posted, never released it. Our, Man. our our work was never done. Um, yeah, it was it was never. And at the time, Spotify didn't exist. Right. You know, it's on um, there now, but it definitely yeah. There was there was no. I just yeah. I remember what you're talking about. The Jerome Jerome was one of the demos that you released right after. Yeah. The, I think it was the first one that you released, and I was I was hooked on it too, and I was like, I'm fucking. Re-. And then nothing for a while now i i do remember at some point before 2014 you did put up other records and i think final cuts on myspace um because i remember mr wizard died today was mm-hmm. on there off with their heads was on there. a couple other ones but uh, um yeah, yeah we did, full we did record put on, the, on the myspace music player i do remember that right right um but the full record wasn't out and then yeah in 2014 Tom had started another label and he reached out and he was just like, dude, what did you do with that record? And I was like, it never, it never came out. And he was like, let's put it out. And I was like, well, what does that look like? And, um, so we ended up coming up with a deal that we were all comfortable with and, um, and he signed it and put it on, uh, Spotify. And then we made a music video for cabin song, uh, which was weird because the three of us filmed a music video, but none, none of us were ever in the same state. Huh. So we just like filmed our own pieces and then had it all edited so together. So y'all never met up for this. It was just like, Mm-mm. nope. Wow. That's really, the three weird. of us have not been in the same room since 2008. That's insane. Do you ever think that'll change? I mean, yeah. That- to be honest, like we've talked numerous times about making an EP over the last three years and like, we all have recording studios in our in our homes, uh, and so what's stopping um, you? Yeah, no time like just, the present. You got all kinds of time yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> we, we I just have been waiting frantically for Mike and Dave to write some music, and they keep saying that they're gonna. Oh, should we tag them, dude? I'm about don't. to like uh, <laughs> make this come to fruition. I will use my yeah. pop. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, that, it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's Mike Basher's birthday today, by the way. Oh, happy birthday, happy Mike. birthday. <laughs> um, and I was going to ask you, actually, as a great question, Ian, if, if Trigger Point did come out with an EP today, 
being who you are now so much later in life and more mature and thing the maturity and in, in music i one of the things that always is bothers is when people say oh you can't you can't be metal and be mature they're not coexisting that's a kid's thing i used to listen to that in high school not saying that is 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 that trigger point's going to come out with a white stripes ep but yeah. what 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 do you think it would sound like today i mean it is there a certain kind of aesthetic, uh, sonic aesthetic you can put on it? Is there, I mean, or do you just not know? We've talked about kind of like what we think that we would do. I mean, it, it would definitely, it would definitely probably be really heavy just cause like at this point, um, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, like we're not attempting to be any sort of mainstream anything, right. you, you know, just do whatever so, you want. right. Um, and I think the three of us, you know, I haven't been in another band, but Mikey and Dave have been in a lot of bands, but like none of them were, have been as heavy as Trigger Point was. Mm -hmm. So the three of us are just kind of like very ready to get aggressive. Um, but that's also like, I haven't, you know, screamed for that's over three say. minutes in a long time. I can <laughs> still do it. I do it every once in a while just to make sure I can. Yeah. But like I, my voice goes out really quickly. So it's just like we realize that there's so many steps that it would take for us to like make something that we feel confident putting out in the world. And the hardest part is that we're a band that jams. Uh, yeah. We don't like send files back and forth. And that's where like we haven't been able to make any progress. Just because like it's nothing's really going to happen unless Mike and Dave get in the same room together, and that has proved harder than six we feet would apart like. right now. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Honestly, um, um, to plug Discord, uh, it's pretty damn close. Well, I mean, not like right now. Obviously, we're having some issues right now, but like <laughs> normally, without COVID and everybody on the internet and everything, it's pretty much like zero, almost close to zero latency. And yeah. I know bands use this platform to get together to jam in that retrospect. If you have like audio interfaces and everything, it can be done. I mean, yeah. it's 2020, so like, just saying, man. Just saying. <laughs> I know, I know. It's I've been frustrated just because I, I'm the the last person to add my thing, you know. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. I like I like to be a part of the creative process. I, I was always there when we were jamming and, you know, saying, yeah, that's cool. Or like, yeah, I don't like that. Or maybe do that instead for the chorus or whatever. Just kind of at, adding my preferences in. But like the, the math. Fuck. As soon as I plug this cord. <laughs> Boom. Fuck. But it again. Yeah, it happened again. But just keep talking. We're gonna. We're not even gonna edit that. That's just. That's just. Uh, right. As soon but as yeah. we plug the the, the uh, Discord, it goes down. But go ahead. What were you? Where did you lose me? <laughs> um. As soon as. So you're the last person to do the do the work. Is it, yeah, yeah. You, do your part. But yeah, the the magic of what we did was really, you know, started with Mike, Mike and Dave jamming and riffing on ideas and building it into something that um that i could then add my thing to right 
So. Yeah, it's tough. I, you know, be a hell. I'm, I'm in a band right now, and we practice. And it's tough to be in a band, let alone do it remotely. So you know as well as anybody, being a tour manager and being in a former band, uh, all of the pit, pitfalls and challenges that come with that. I know I, I, I bugged you more than a dozen times in in my life about when's the new one coming. Yeah, it's not just you, but Dave, all those guys. Um. So you do your thing, but just remember, you're guys like me, and there's probably hundreds of guys like me and girls like me waiting for uh, waiting for some some more some more uh, material as as we do with a lot of honestly as we do with a lot of the bands from that corporate punishment family because that that again with Allele and uh, Switched and Ricketts uh, I don't remember Ivan Moody's Genoa. Genoa was good, right? Ghost in the oh, Machine. Boys and Genoa. Yeah, actually, the guy that I made that movie with was Rob Montague, this the singer of Genoa. Oh, We're still really good friends. That's cool. cool. Yeah, and then yeah, um, Ghost in the Machine was was Ivan's band. Yeah. So awesome. Well, Ian, do you have anything else to ask before we wrap? Uh, not much. Sorry, I didn't talk much. I'm over here monitoring. All this hey stuff. man, I- Ian. Ian today is uh, what a lot of pod- big time podcasters have. That's like the producer guy. They always have the the guy doing all the tech work. So Ian is keeping the shit alive. Thanks, thanks for that. For uh, well, I'm gonna need a lot more of your help during all this uh, this shit until we be face to face and shit again. So yeah, uh, crushing it. Yeah, I just wanted to like one more time shout sure. out. Uh, the Music Cares Foundation. Um, if if there's somebody listening to this and they're wondering how that they they can help the touring community, uh, that's where you can go. Uh, small donations are helpful. It is going to people that need it, like myself, and you know all the people that make the concerts happen that you miss so much. And you know, yeah, again, the reality is not looking good. For the music industry and the concert industry but i do want to just say that it's gonna it's gonna come back yeah. nothing has ever been able to kill music and it's definitely not going to die from this uh but things are going to look different for the next year for sure yeah it will be uh challenging for everybody how many fucking songs are going to be out be about coronavirus or quarantine <laughs> zombie know. hopefully apocalypse. not many man hopefully not many i'm already tired of the ones i've heard i'm, I'm like yeah. no cancel that shit <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure all right well thanks uh taylor for coming on uh yeah. we'll we'll talk more in the future for sure and i hope that you can get back on the road sooner than later and do what you love and uh, all those all those great things um for those listening and watching and all that thanks for tuning uh as usual go to our our facebook page and like us give us a review go to our twitter uh it's facebook.com slash all things music podcast twitter's atm podcast at music pod um and rate five stars don't rate one star like that troll did please that would be awesome thank you (laughs) Uh, but uh yeah uh stay tuned we now that we've got this discord thing going hopefully that means more good content from us and and more cool guests and everything um without further ado as always we're out